0: Metamore Studios proudly presents Metamore City, Season 2 A podcast series written and performed by Chris Lester For show notes and author contact information, please visit metamorecity.com Featuring the vocal talents of Michael Spence
1: Genevieve Seven
0: Indiana June
2: Danae Winters Susan
3: Merck
0: These stories may contain adult language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, Whispers in the Wood, Part 2. Abby was waiting outside the music hall when Wells arrived that night. She waved to him in greeting, and he answered the gesture with an upraised hand. Good evening, he said as he approached. Miss Preston, was it? Abby nodded.
1: Good to see you, Professor. I apologize if I gave offense this morning.
0: She carefully did not specify whether she meant to him or to the violin. You did nothing wrong, my dear. Don't worry yourself about it. He stepped into the light of the street lamp then, and it took all of Abby's self-control not to gape at him. He looked like he had aged ten years overnight. The gray in his hair was more abundant than it had been even this morning. His skin was as pale and bloodless as a corpse. When he moved, it was with careful, deliberate steps, as if he did not trust his own legs to hold him. Still, for all that, he looked calm and focused, even content. It took Abby a moment to find her voice again.
1: "'Well, I'm glad everything's all right, then,'
0: she said at last.
1: "'Would you mind if I listen while you warm up tonight?'
4: "'Not at all. Come, the manager will let us in the raided entrance.'"
0: Once inside, Abby took a seat in the corner of the dingy practice room, between a mop and bucket and a stack of old placards for past performances. She watched as Wells rose in the bow and checked the tuning on Threnody's strings.
1: It's funny. For some reason, I thought that a magical instrument wouldn't need tuning.
0: Wells chuckled, a dry, hollow sound.
4: (laughs) The lady isn't magic. Or at least, not in the sense that you mean. No wizard has placed an enchantment on her. The Lutia who crafted her had extraordinary talent, but she must be cared for like any other violin.
0: Abby frowned.
1: If that's true, then how does she...
0: She gestured vaguely. Wells looked down at the violin, running a loving hand over the surface of the wood.
4: I wish I had the words to explain it. I believe that she is connected to another kind of power. Something older and greater than mortal magic.
0: He looked up at Abby. Are you a universalist, Miss Preston? Abby shook her head.
1: Mariast, Well, sort of.
0: Ah. Wells tuned another string, then fell silent a moment before speaking. There exists a
4: primal form of energy that pervades the universe. A spiritual energy, you might call it. Universalists such as myself believe that this energy is the undifferentiated essence of the creator. Remnants of its being scattered throughout the cosmos when it sacrificed itself to create the universe. I suppose that Mariast might call it the Breath of Eli. We call it the Newman.
0: Abby found herself leaning forward, perched on the edge of her seat.
1: And you think the Threnody is somehow connected to this Newman stuff?
4: It
0: seems plausible. The
4: Newman is the raw substance of creation. It cannot be tamed or commanded by human will as manna can, yet it responds to us in strange and compelling ways. Some believe that the Dreamlands themselves owe their existence to the Newman. Our fantasies and nightmares become real when touched by its power.
0: He gestured down at the violin.
4: If the Newman can respond to our dreams, perhaps it responds to our pain as well. Perhaps the universe recognized our suffering and this fair lady became the vessel for its response.
0: Abby nodded, but it was mostly to herself. Her mind was already mulling over other things she had seen and experienced. Things that the Newman might be responsible for, if it was real and not just the product of a troubled man's imagination. She resolved to ask Janus about it as soon as possible. Have I frightened you, my dear? Abby looked up and blinked.
3: Sorry?
4: You look troubled. I hope I've not added to the burdens that already rest on those slim shoulders.
0: She forced herself to smile.
1: I'm all right. I just...
0: She hesitated. Yes?
1: I'm wondering what it does to a person to channel that kind of energy.
0: She gestured at his near-skeletal form.
1: No offense, Dr. Wells, but you don't look... healthy.
0: Wells gave her an ironic smile.
4: Indeed not, Miss Preston, but you needn't blame Threnody for that. With or without her, it would make little difference. I am dying.
5: And that's all he said? Janus was
0: pacing back and forth in a small hotel room across the street from Wells's boarding house. Abby thought that he looked like a caged lion. Tremendous power, but no way to use it. No productive way, anyway.
1: Pretty much. I tried to get some details from him, but his thoughts were guarded. I didn't want to pry. Some kind of cancer, I think. But I can't be sure.
0: Hmm. Janus paused in front of the window and stared out of it for a long moment, brooding.
1: What do you think about what he said? About the violin being a link to the Newman?
5: Janus snorted. It's possible, but that doesn't tell us very much. The Newman is raw, creative power, wild and unpredictable. No one understands, it, least of all the creatures who are given life by it. That's the problem with blaming things on the Newman. It can explain anything and therefore explains nothing. He may believe in this link, but I suspect he knows more than he told you. He paused. You said he looked sicker than ever. Did he still play as well as the night before?
1: As far as I could tell, yes.
5: No signs of fatigue?
1: Not during the performance. He looked really tired afterwards, but that's just like it was yesterday.
0: Janus flexed his sword hand, clenching and unclenching it repeatedly. It doesn't add up. Abby sat up a bit straighter.
1: What doesn't?
5: The Lightbringer left the window and resumed pacing. The symptoms you've witnessed point to a very specific type of outsider, a Leonanshi. Abby cocked her head.
1: Is that a kind of fairy?
5: Yes, one of the stronger breeds. They're drawn to artists, musicians, poets, tortured men with some substantial talent. The Leinanshi offers them inspiration and companionship, but in exchange she feeds on their blood and takes their life force. Artists who gain one as a patron usually have short, brilliant careers, ending in untimely deaths.
1: And let me guess, they tend to pick people who are going to die young anyways.
5: Janus smirked. When they can. They don't stay where they aren't wanted, but it's hard for most mortals to resist their charms. The Lothanasi discourage them from taking advantage of young men who have their whole lives ahead of them. Abby spread her hands.
1: Well, obviously that's not an issue here. So what doesn't add up?
5: The deaths at the new moon. Lea aren't bound to a lunar cycle, and they only feed on one person at a time. They're also very committed to making sure that their artists become successful. Killing off members of the audience runs counter to that.
1: Well, he said that Threnody doesn't like strangers touching her. Maybe she's afraid the instrument will be stolen?
0: A thought struck her.
1: Or maybe she just doesn't want him distracted. Hey, how many of the people who died were women?
0: Janus pulled the notepad from his pocket and consulted it.
5: Ten out of the fifteen that we know of. There may be others, of course, that we haven't gotten word of yet. We didn't become aware of the connection to Wells until a few weeks ago, so we've had to construct much of the information after the fact. Abby grimaced and slumped back in her chair.
1: (sighs) Two-thirds. Not exactly overwhelming evidence for the jealous lover theory.
5: It doesn't fit, anyway. "'Janus said, putting away the pad. Leonanshi aren't threatened by mortals. "'They have no reason to be. "'No mortal woman is ever going to be able to compare to one of the High Fae.' "'Janus finally came over and sat down in the other chair.
0: "'Alemesil lay on the coffee table in front of him, "'and he took it up with the same reverence "'that Abby had seen Wells show toward Threnody. "'The Lightbringer ran his fingers over the pommel, "'apparently lost in thought, "'or maybe communing with the sword.' There was an intelligence there, but nothing that Abby's power could touch.
1: Maybe this Leonan she is crazy,
0: Abby said after a long moment.
1: Is that possible?
0: The blond man grimaced.
5: By human standards, all fae are insane. The question is whether her insanity is substantially different from that of her sister's. He looked up at Abby, but his eyes were distant.
1: We're missing a piece, aren't we?
5: I believe so, yes.
0: His eyes focused on her, and a glimmer of blue fire shone within them.
5: I'll have our research division take another look at the death records, see if they have anything in common that would explain why the Leonanshi might kill them. In the meantime, I need you to try to make contact with her. If the violin is her link to Wells, then your gift is our best chance to reach her. A chill ran down Abby's spine.
1: Wells seemed to think that was a really bad idea.
5: It isn't my first choice either. But we need answers, and I don't think we're going to be able to get them unless we can talk to the fairy.
1: And what if she's not willing to talk?
5: Janus shrugged fractionally. Then I'll have to kill her, but I'd prefer to solve this without, as you say, a quick decapitation. Abby sighed.
1: <sighs> Alright, I'll try it. And hope that wells's muse is in a friendly mood.
0: After Janus left the hotel room, Abby lay down on the bed and stared up at the ceiling. She was feeling drained after hearing Threnody's performance for a second night in a row. Her own sorrows were plentiful, and she found the violin's power to be less comforting than many in the audience did. Watching the shades gather and then vanish under the violin's influence disturbed her on an instinctive level. She knew that they weren't really people— weren't even ghosts in the proper sense of the word, but she had become so used to them as part of the nighttime world that it seemed wrong, somehow, to watch them being swept away to Eli knew where. She sighed and rubbed her eyes. She wanted to go home to her family, go to sleep and forget about the whole business until morning, but time was short and she was still on the clock. She closed her eyes and slipped into her lucid dreaming state. This was one of her special gifts as a telepath, a form of astral projection that let her walk the borders between the physical world and the realms beyond. There were many things that haunted that liminal state between life and death, waking and dreaming, reality and imagination, and Abby was adept at finding them. Actually, dealing with them was another matter entirely, but it wasn't as if she and Janus had a lot of options at this point. Her dream form rose from the bed, leaving her sleeping body behind, and headed out into the hallway. The hotel was old and full of shades. They whispered and reached out to her as she passed, dimly sensing that here was someone who could see them and would hear their story. They told her of drug overdoses and accidental shootings, of jealous wives and bathtubs full of blood. She ignored them all, brushing through their clutching hands like wisps of fog. These were only the memories of departed souls, not the souls themselves. They were harmless, and the mundanes who stayed here would never even know they were there, except perhaps on the night of the new moon, when the veils grew thin between the worlds. Abby exited the building and walked across the skyway to the boarding house. The house was different in her dream sight. It looked like a proud mansion at the height of elegance with fine paintings and sculptures and polished marble floors. Abby could imagine this place hosting cocktail parties and masquerade balls, where men and women of the nobility celebrated their own prosperity and the end of the great wars that had torn the world apart at the end of the last century. The halls were quiet now, though, and she saw no images of the decadent, self-satisfied revels that must have filled this place at the height of its splendor. There were hardly any shades here, either, and that was all wrong for a building with this much history. The ones she did see were quiet and skittish, peeking out at her through mirrors and picture frames. They did not speak, did nothing to draw attention to themselves. A silent dread filled the house, as if the remaining shades somehow knew what had befallen their fellows, and now hid from the thing that had caused it. Abby found it difficult to navigate through the building, since many of the walls and doors that she had seen when she was here yesterday were not present in the dream house. She reached out for Wells's mind and found it, then used it as a homing beacon as she passed down long corridors and up grand, spiraling staircases. The place that had become his flat was a child's bedroom in the original mansion, a fact made clear by the bright colors of the walls and rugs and the many toys that lay scattered around the room. There was no sign of the children themselves. If there were any shades here, they were even more deeply in hiding than the others in the house. Abby shivered. The room felt desolate and much too quiet. There were no happy, loving memories left in this place. A tense, watchful air filled the room. Abby felt eyes on her, the eyes of something cold, ancient, And inhuman. Wells lay sleeping in the far corner, his modern, full sized bed oddly juxtaposed with the rest of the room's contents. His aura glowed around him, a pale blue light tarnished with patches of sickly yellow green. Abby supposed that that was the cancer slowly spreading through his body, consuming him from the inside out. As she looked more closely, she saw a third force acting within his aura an emerald green energy, subtle but powerful. It wrapped itself around his brain and heart, like a vine growing around the trunk of a tree. It also sent out roots that buried themselves in the yellow-green energy of the Cancer, and in those places the sickly light was weaker and seemed to advance more slowly on the surrounding blue. Abby realized that the vines, whatever they were, were feeding selectively on the rampant, out-of-control life force of the Cancer, Like the death-aspected mana therapy used to treat cancer in modern hospitals, the vines were prolonging Wells' life by hurting the disease more than they hurt the host. Abby looked around for the violin, wondering if she would see lines of green energy tracing from it to Wells. She didn't. The corner where the instrument should have sat was bathed in shadows, a swirling pool of darkness that hid everything within it. Abby concentrated, and her third eye opened, releasing a beam of cool, blue-white radiance into the gloom. The effect was not what she anticipated. Normally, her soul light was enough to dispel any darkness she encountered on the dream plane. This time, the darkness responded like a living thing, recoiling from her light as if burned. It pooled behind the violin to form a deeper, darker shadow one that licked up the edges of the wood like fire before shrinking away again with an angry hiss. Red pinpricks of light glared at her balefully from the shadows, fierce and resentful. Cautiously, Abby drew closer.
1: I'm sorry. I don't want to hurt you. I just want to talk.
0: A chorus of whispers came up from the shadows behind the violin.
1: All right, I'll put the light away now. Look.
0: She closed her third eye with a thought, and the shadows swept out to surround the violin once more, hiding it from view. The darkness crept within a decimeter of Abby's dream self, and she took a step back, feeling uneasy. See? She said, putting on a smile that felt ridiculously fake.
1: That's better now, right?
0: The whispers began again, dozens of them, all saying different things. Abby couldn't understand most of them, but one stood out more loudly than the others.
4: Why are you here, little girl?
0: The voice was cold, dry, and full of suspicion. Abby bowed, then spoke in a carefully formal tone.
1: I wish to speak with the fair lady who has blessed Isaac Balls with her gifts and her power. Do I have the honor of addressing her?
0: The darkness around the violin muttered with agitation. A cool breeze blew through the room, carrying the scents of cinnamon and jasmine. A bright emerald light appeared behind Abby and then vanished, as if someone had opened a door and stepped through it.
2: I am she.
0: The woman's voice was rich and sensual, and it carried an air of unquestionable authority. Abby turned to face her and... Looking back on events later, she would be unable to recall exactly what she had seen. Vivid, fragmentary impressions were seared upon her memory. The perfect curve of one hip, the shocking crimson of long, flowing hair, an expanse of flawless alabaster skin. Every glimpse spoke of an unparalleled feminine perfection, so transcendent that a mortal mind could not encompass it all at once. The creature was beauty personified. And it was something else besides. For out from that vision of perfection burned the eyes. Twin points of luminous emerald fire alight with feral intensity, empty of anything that could be called humanity. Those eyes were hunger and need, and an utter contempt for the feeble flickering candle of mortal life. Abby's mind spun with wonder and terror, and she fell to the floor, weeping uncontrollably. The fairy spoke again, the deceptively soft words falling like hammer blows on Abby's astral form.
2: You wish to speak to me, mortal? Speak then.
0: Even with her forehead pressed to the floor, Abby sensed the amused smile, the flash of long, pointed canines.
2: Your strange talents have aroused my interest.
0: Abby's whole body shook and pressed herself against the ground as if she could vanish into it, terrified beyond words that this creature was interested in her. She opened her mouth to speak, but words fled her. (sighs) The fairy sighed, but Abby could hear a note of pleasure behind it.
2: (sighs) Oh, very well. For the sake of your feeble eyes, I shall guard myself in glamour.
0: She gestured with one clawed hand, and Abby felt the pressure on her mind ease. Cautiously, she looked up, and saw that the fairy's radiant beauty had diminished to something bearable. She now looked merely like the most striking elf maid that Abby had ever seen, captivating but no longer devastating in her beauty. Abby abruptly realized that she had forgotten to breathe— And she took in the air now in long, shuddering gasps.
1: Thank you, my lady. You're kind to be so patient with my weakness.
2: I am indeed kind when it suits me.
0: She gestured for Abby to rise, and Abby did so.
2: Now, speak, child. What would you have of
0: me? Abby thought carefully before speaking. She'd never had any dealings with fairies before, but she knew that it was dangerous to ask them for favors. Even something as simple as answering a question could create a bond of obligation between them. After seeing the fairy's true form, she trembled again at the mere memory of it. She knew that she must avoid indebting herself to this creature at all costs.
1: I have questions that I think you could answer. Important questions... About Dr. Wells and that violin. Hmm.
0: The Leonanchi sat down on the edge of Wells' bed, stroking his cheek with an idle hand as she did so.
2: Would you be willing to answer my questions? I might. What are the answers worth to you?
0: Abby hesitated.
1: I would not want to offer you something unless it was of value to you.
2: Do you have any suggestions?
0: The fae woman smiled mischievously.
2: I would be willing to answer all of your questions in exchange for your name.
0: Abby winced.
1: I'm sorry, my lady, but I mustn't give you that.
0: Abby was no expert on magic, but she knew what a fairy could do with someone's name, given from her own lips. The lion she sighed.
2: <sighs> Pity.
0: She tapped two fingertips on her lips, apparently thinking.
2: Ah, what about a song?
0: Abby frowned.
2: A song, my lady? Yes, a song.
0: The fairy's eyes had lit up with the idea, and she showed Abby a feral grin.
2: Give me a song, and I shall answer three of your questions. I'm not much of a singer.
0: The she waved off the objection.
2: I am not concerned with your level of talent, but it must be a song that is meaningful to you. That is what gives it power.
0: Abby thought about it a moment, then nodded.
2: All right.
1: There's a lullaby that my mother used to sing to me when I was a little girl.
0: The fairy's grin broadened.
2: Perfect.
0: She sat back against the headboard and folded her hands in her lap, giving Abby her full attention. Tentatively, Abby opened her mouth and sang
1: what do you see when you look
0: it was a simple melody one that she had heard many times in the years before her parents died it was one of the few memories she still had of her mother and she had clung to it like a talisman during long lonely nights in the westfall creche she had sung it to her unborn daughter until victor's madness had taken her from abby she had sung it to the children in her breeding cell countless times to lull them to sleep at night It was a song as close to her as her own heartbeat. Yet, as soon as she had finished singing it to the Leonanchi, Abby could no longer recall a single note or word of it. The Fae woman closed her eyes and inhaled deeply, as if breathing in the scent of something delicious. After a moment, she opened her eyes and fixed them on Abby. Her gaze looked more inhuman than ever.
2: That was lovely, child. I thank you.
0: She gestured in an invitation to Abby.
2: Now then, what are your questions?
1: She... she took...
0: Abby shook with suppressed rage, and more than that, with terror. She was one of the most powerful telepaths that Metamore had ever seen, and this creature had taken her mother's song from her so quickly that Abby hadn't even felt it happening. She had been told that fairies were dangerous. She had never known how dangerous until that moment. She would choose her questions very, very carefully. Janus came into the Ops Center at Lothanasi C H Q his hair still damp from his post-patrol shower. That was driven by necessity, not vanity. His uniform repelled blood, ichor, and most of the other byproducts of his work on the street, but his skin and hair were not so fortunate. Candace was still working at the main control console, a cup of tea steaming beside her. The two-story holographic display in front of her showed location tracking and vital signs, for each of the Lightbringer agents currently on patrol in the city. Three supplementary displays were filled with background data of one kind or another. It's late, Janus said, coming up behind her. You should be in bed. Candace shot a look over her shoulder, her hazel eyes sparkling with wry amusement.
3: You're one to talk. Jillian's out sick tonight, so I'm taking half her shift and Kyle's taking the other.
5: Janus frowned. No one told me about that.
3: Because, oh, fearless leader, you have more important things to worry about.
0: Candace spun her chair around and put a gentle hand on his arm.
3: You take care of the monsters. I take care of keeping the place running. It's a good system, so don't mess with it.
0: Janus gave her a small nod and a brief smile. All right. Candace's hand lingered where it touched him, and he found that he felt no desire to pull away. He wasn't sure what he did want, though, and Candace did not risk impropriety by taking things further. The moment lasted long enough to be awkward, until finally she cleared her throat and turned back to the computer terminal.
3: Well, Here's something you'll want to see. Research Division dug up some more information on the Wells case.
5: Ah, excellent, Janus said, relieved at the shift back to business. Did they find any possible motive for the deaths?
3: Mm, Some of them, maybe.
0: Candace called up records on the fifteen victims and spread them out over the display in front of them.
3: One of them is the prior owner of the violin. He got himself into some financial trouble and had to pawn the instrument to get out of it. He died of a brain aneurysm two weeks later, on the night of the new moon.
5: She smirked.
3: I guess Threnody has abandonment issues.
5: Had Wells purchased the violin by then?
3: Now he's in the clear on that one. It was another month and a half before the loan came due and the pawnbroker put it up for sale. Wells bought it a month after that.
5: Janus grunted. Were there any other deaths in the intervening months? Between when it was pawned and when Wells began using it?
3: Not that we've been able to tie to the case. And before you ask, neither the previous owner nor anyone in his family was known for having much musical talent. No virtuosos here.
5: Which means it's not very likely that the Leonanshi would have been interested in them. Janus said, following her train of thought. Puzzling, but good work. What else do you have?
3: Four of the dead had police records for theft, burglary, and assault. They probably saw Threnody in concert and thought they could steal the magic fiddle for themselves.
0: Janus almost felt satisfied at that. Cause of death?
3: Three of them due to blood loss from severed arteries. One due to having his head removed.
0: Candace looked up at him grimly.
3: Remind me to never get on a Leonine she's bad side.
5: I hope we can avoid it, Janus said, in all honesty. Any others?
3: Three of them were wealthy individuals who tried to buy the violin. There may have been more, but those are the ones we know about. Wells turned them all down, but maybe Threnody still felt threatened.
0: Candace shrugged.
3: The rest were just fans of the music as far as we can tell. They came to repeat showings and talked to a lot of their friends about what was happening at the concerts. At least some of them offered to sleep with Wells. But so far we haven't heard of him actually accepting any.
5: Janus nodded thoughtfully. And these... fans? They were all women?
3: Yep. Looks like Abby may have been on to something with the jealous lover thing.
0: Janus sank into the seat next to her, grumbling.
5: It still doesn't add up. Why on earth would a Leononci be threatened by a bunch of... Groupies? Candace suggested. Janus
0: gestured to her, accepting the term.
3: I wondered about that, too. Which is why I'm working with the research division to dig up the history of that violin before it went to the pawn shop. Hopefully we'll turn up something that explains how Theranity works, and why she's got such a thing against Wells getting laid.
0: Janus stared at her a moment, then grinned.
5: Whatever we're paying you, it isn't enough. Candace smiled back at him.
3: I'll be sure to give myself a raise on the next budget cycle. You go get some sleep and let me get to work.
0: As he rode the lift up to his quarters, Janus thought about their bizarre findings on the Wells case. He couldn't believe that the fairy would kill all of those women simply because they had showed so much interest in Wells and his violin. If anything, the she should have been thanking them for spreading the word about her chosen one. Instead, they had died, after showing a stronger than normal interest in Wells and Threnody, just as Abby Preston was doing right now. Janus stopped the lift and pushed the button for the garage. It might be nothing, but an intuition was taking shape at the back of his mind, and he had learned that it was wise to listen to those impressions. He would stop by Preston's hotel room to check on her, one last time before daylight. You couldn't be too careful when you were dealing with fairies. The fairy left her alone for an hour to consider her questions, for which Abby was grateful. She returned to her physical body and puzzled over possible questions on a sheet of hotel paper. With only three of them, she didn't want to waste any, especially given what they had cost her. Some questions she was able to discard immediately. She would not ask if the Leonin she was helping to keep Wells alive, it was the only thing that made sense, given that he had lasted this long without any apparent medical treatment. Granted, she was also sucking out his life force, and something had happened last night that had aged him a great deal, but that look on Wells's aura told Abby that he was probably going to live longer with the fairy than without her. She also would not ask why the fae woman had chosen Wells, or why she chose to heal people through his music. If Janus was correct, and all fairies were insane by human standards, then her reasoning might not make any sense to Abby anyway. Abby decided that she and Janus really needed to know four things—whether the violin's power was inherently harmful, why Threnody was killing people, whether Wells was complicit in the killings, and whether she could be persuaded to stop. On further reflection, she added a fifth item. They needed to know whether Threnody was responsible for all of the deaths that had been attributed to her. The Leonanshi was undoubtedly dangerous, but it was just possible that she wasn't actually guilty of this particular set of crimes, and Abby wasn't the least bit interested in picking a fight with the creature if she didn't have to. She couldn't ask everything she needed to, but in the end she decided on a strategy to get as much information out of the fairy as possible. She dream-walked back to Wells's flat and found the Leonanchi waiting for her. She was reclining on an elaborately carved settee that would have fit in well in the lower parts of the mansion, but which looked odd and out of place among the children's toys.
2: Have you chosen your questions, mortal? Yes, m'lady,
0: Abby said, bowing low. The Leonanchi gestured expansively.
2: Ask, then, and I shall answer.
1: My first question— When Dr. Wells plays the violin, it seems to echo people's pain. But the violin isn't magical. How does that work?
0: The woman seemed surprised by the question, but also pleased. It put Abby in mind of a professor being asked to expound upon her area of research.
2: The violin sings the pain of lost souls. In the maestro's hands, under my tutelage, it can call forth the sorrows of the dead. The anguish of the living heart resonates in sympathy with the song, and so you perceive the sorrow as your own.
0: Abby nodded thoughtfully. There were a lot of follow-up questions she could ask about that, but she had too much other ground to cover.
1: Second question. I would like to know which people you've killed in the last year of mortal time, and why you killed them.
0: The she's lips parted in a sharp-toothed smile.
2: Those could be considered two separate questions, child. But very well. The song you gave me was sweet, and so I shall not quibble.
0: Abby sighed in relief. (sighs) After a moment's thought, the fairy spoke again, idly, as if running through a list that bore very little interest to her.
2: Let me see. Two men I killed when they laid their hands upon my maestro in a violent and unseemly manner. One I slew for threatening him with a... A pistol, I believe they are called. Is that the word?
0: Abby nodded.
2: A fourth was a thief. He entered the maestro's home on a moonless night and would have stolen his instrument. I killed him quietly so my beloved would not be wakened. The fifth and sixth were a pair of lutons who sought to force themselves upon a young woman I heard singing once in a choir. I happened to be passing by and recognized her voice, and so I rescued her. The seventh and last was my former beloved a painter from the land of Torn. His heart failed as I rode him to the heights of pleasure. Ah, With his last breath he called my name in ecstasy. I miss him still.
0: Abby shivered, which was unusual in dream form. Still, the list was shorter than she had expected. Thinking back through the fairy's account, only four of her kills had anything to do with Wells. None of the deaths could be considered unjustified, Except for the painters, and he'd chosen that fate himself. That left eleven names on Janus's list.
1: Third question. There are other people who died after hearing Dr. Wall's play. Always on the night of the new moon. If you didn't kill those people, who did?
0: The fairy rose from her couch, her face darkening. Abby took an involuntary step back. The settee vanished in a flash of light as soon as the Fae woman left it.
2: If I did not kill them, I do not appreciate your questioning my word, mortal. I am Fae, and the Fae do not lie.
0: Abby fell to her knees, her heart quailing.
2: Forgive me, my lady.
1: It is only a human figure of speech. I did not mean to give offense.
0: The Laenanchi's eyes burned into her for a long moment. Then, abruptly, the anger vanished, gone as quickly as it had come.
2: Very well. It is forgiven. As to your answer, the others you speak of were slain by Threnody.
0: Abby stared at her in confusion.
2: But, wait, you mean you're not Threnody?
0: The fairy let out a derisive snort.
2: Three questions you have asked of me, mortal, and three I have answered. Unless you give me your name and payment, I shall answer no more.
0: A gust of wind blew through the room, and the fairy vanished in the blink of an eye. Abby turned and looked at the corner of the room where the violin sat, still surrounded by living shadows. to killed them, Abby murmured. She stepped a few paces closer to the instrument. Then looked back over her shoulder at the spot where the Fae Woman had vanished.
1: But if she's not Threnody.
0: She looked back at the violin. Threnody? A chorus of whispers answered her. Again, most of them were indistinct, but one rose out more clearly among the others. So we have been named. We, Abby said, mostly to herself. But who's we? A low hiss came from the shadows around the violin. Nosey, girl. Nosey, nosey. The shadows grew, flowing up the walls and across them until they formed a broad barricade that blocked the door. Too many questions. Abby took a step back, then another, as the shadows grew to surround her on three sides. Red eyes burned in the darkness and white light glinted off of what might have been teeth. She was frightened, but not nearly as much as when she had faced the Leonanshi. She kept her wits about her and opened her third eye, sending a blast of soul light directly into the Wall of Shadows. The creature screamed and shrank back, and Abby bolted through the now-exposed door. She ran as fast as thought could carry her, out through a mansion that rattled and shook around her, The sound of claws scrabbling against floors and the crash of broken china came from behind her. The front doors opened before her and she raced across the skyway and back to the hotel. The shades bolted for cover as she approached, and from the expressions on their faces she knew that the thing was still following her. Faster and faster she ran, desperation driving her onward. The touch of ice licked at her heels. Hisses and snarls came from somewhere close behind her ears up the stairs three at a time as they rattled and shook with the great weight of the thing that pursued her now at the door to her room she burst through and dove for her sleeping body dimly aware of the bright lights that filled the space and the man waiting beside her with a flaming sword in hand (sighs) Abby sat bolt upright on the bed gasping for breath Janus was there at the doorway, his holy symbol in one hand and a lemicil in the other. Light poured forth from the blade and the twin cross alike, as a wispy and insubstantial mass of dark fog tried to push its way inside. Atalie! Janus shouted, swinging a lemicil in a broad arc. The fog parted where he had touched it, and Abby heard a shriek of pain in her mind.
5: Atalia Morari!
0: The shadow fled, backing away into the hall and then evaporating. The elven runes that had been glowing red died down to orange, then yellow, then nothing. Janus closed the hotel room door and drew a sign of warding over it. The lines glowed blue-white for a moment, then faded into invisibility. He turned to face her, and the muscles in his jaw jumped in obvious tension.
5: Get some rest. And this time, stay put. We'll talk in the morning
0: wordlessly, Abby nodded. She fell back against the pillow, and collapsed into a sleep that was, mercifully, dreamless. You've been listening to episode 43 of the Metamore City podcast, written and produced by Chris Lester. This episode featured the voice talents of Michael Spence as Isaac Wells, Genevieve Seven as Abby Preston, Indiana Jim as Janice Starson, Susan Murph as Candace, and Denae Winters as the leigh Some music provided by David Beard at davidbeardmusic.com used with permission Other music and sound effects provided by Digital Juice at digitaljuice.com SoundSnap at soundsnap.com and the Free Sound Project at freesound.org This audio adaptation of Whispers in the Wood was recorded and mixed at Metamore Studios in Berkeley, California The story and recording are both copyright 2009 by Chris Lester. This recording is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City podcast, right after these messages.
5: Why is it that you persist in saving the humans, Elena? Is it love? Is it nostalgia for what we once were? What purpose could you possibly have that could not be better served by a heart of gears and steam? Andrews thought that his life was turned upside down when he joined a secret society of wizards, but he had no idea what was in store for him. Join Jonathan and the others as they delve through the mystery that threatens all life on the planet. Listen to the free podcast at thegearheart.com.
4: Caller, Call them
2: about them been In seen entertainment on face news, face-to-face. Calvin Hubbard was disqualified from Idol Search competition. Just that, a day after winning the popular singing more? competition, the singer, a the Los he Angeles resident, had his crown taken away amidst Ain't a no sex kid. scandal involving
3: total judge on a lot Neither Hubbard nor Michaels could be reached for a planet. But there is speculation because this It has only been days since his public and former
0: idol search contestant Calvin Hubbard finally oh, the plan. His agent had this to say.
2: I'm his i <laughs> 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 <laughs>
4: An ancient evil is lurking in the trees. Nighttime is about to fall in Harvey. And charm, talent, and rock and roll aren't enough to save a town or a soul. From the author of Crescent, Eden, and Notes from the Vault, comes Phil Rossi's Harvey. For more information and to get the free audiobook, visit harveythenovel.com. They're trying to tell us to stay out of the trees.
0: Because they don't like these kids trespassing.
4: They don't give a shit about trespass. They're trying to warn us. There's something bad out there. Okay. Thanks, Marty. Isn't that a warm and cheerful thought for a Friday night? Harvey, a tale of murder, mayhem.
0: Hello, this is J. Daniel Sawyer,
4: author of the Antithesis series, a science fiction espionage thriller that you can find at www.jdsawyer.net. And you're listening to the excellent Metamore City Podcast.
0: And we're back. This is going to be a real short outro, partly because I've got a frog in my throat from this cold that I've been fighting, and partly because I want to hurry up and get this episode out to you guys tonight. A few quick announcements, though. First off, I am going to be the special guest at Oricon 31. That is this weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, at the Double Tree Hotel in Portland, Oregon. I'm doing a reading and a Q&A session at 2 o'clock on Friday in the Weedler Room. Come on by if you can. Bring a friend who's new to Metamore City, and I'll enter you in a drawing to win a gorgeous full-size poster of the Metamore City cover art by Jeff Himmelman. If you want to sound off on the new season, please send in your feedback to 206-202-8530. That's 206-202-8530. Thank you very much to Mary Laura, who is the first person to call in with feedback on Season 2. She wins a copy of J.C. Hutchins' Seventh Son, Book One, Descent, which should be reaching her right about the time you're hearing this. You can also send your responses to feedback at metamorecity.com or you can participate in the discussion forums at thecurse.org or our Facebook group, Fans of Metamore City. The next episode will be on Saturday, December 12th. Yeah, I'm taking a couple of extra days to get this out to you guys. The holidays are starting up, and things are just getting a little bit tight, a little bit messy here at the end of the semester, and those extra days are going to be a big help to me in making sure that I get the podcast out to you reasonably on time. And that'll do it for this week. Until next time, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester signing out.
5: The Newman is a raw bler.
4: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs>
5: <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> How do you grunt? <clears throat> Nervy. <laughs> yeah, a little bright. No signs of fatigue. Really? <laughs>
0: Give me a gasp of fright.
5: <gasps>
1: <the> laugh. Yeep.
5: But... <laughs> <laughs> there, some British. Oh, excellent.
1: Huh? No, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the whole thing.
5: Hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh.
1: No, wait, I'm ready for this.
5: (laughs) Uh, Let's just start the whole thing over.